so brethren it's a pleasure being here again um please excuse my voice as i'm now recovering from a flu and some sore throat and nasal congestions so i do hope that persons are able to hear me clearly and that the message today will be able to be delivered where everyone will be able to understand so brethren all scriptures will be read from the king james version bible and today's topic will be god takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants how much more in that of his sons and daughters so i'll start from psalm 35 verse 27 we learn that the lord taketh pleasure in the prosperity of his servants now when we consider this fact from its covenantal perspective we can reasonably conclude that god will take much more delight in the prosperity of his sons and daughters moreover my conclusion is based upon conjecture but upon concrete evidence spread throughout the entire bible as will be read and demonstrated today as we study this controversial issue together from a survey of the old testament scriptures one would discover that god has been unequivocal in his commitment to blessing his servants the children of israel this fact can be easily checked by reading the following text Genesis chapter 26, verse 1, 6, and 12. Genesis chapter 32, verse 9 to 10. Genesis chapter 47, verses 5 to 7 and 11. Then you can read Exodus chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. Leviticus chapter 7, verses 31 to 34. Numbers chapter 18, verses 12 to 14. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 3 to 5, Esther chapter 10, verses 2 to 3, and Psalm 112, verses 1 to 3, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 to 16, and Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. These, brethren, are but a tithe of the evidence that one can advance to show God's delight in the prosperity of his servants. Undoubtedly, the degree of God's commitment to blessing his servants can be gauged by the way he promoted his servants, even when they were in captivity. If you have any doubts about this fact, the following excerpts will dispel them all. Joseph entered Egypt as a slave, but was promoted to the position of governor, being second only to the king. Moses who was supposed to be killed by Pharaoh's decree, was nourished in Pharaoh's house and was heir to his throne. Ezra and Nehemiah were victims of Babylonian captivity, but prospered to the point where they were permitted and given the wherewithal to rebuild their demolished temple city. So that's Genesis chapter 41 verses 39 to 44, Exodus chapter 1 verse 22, Exodus chapter 2 verses 5 to 10, Ezra chapter 7 verses 1 to 28, and Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 to 6. Moreover, 
who can't forget the orphan Esther and her uncle Mordecai, who rose from obscurity to be queen and governor of Persia, and Daniel, who also was only chronologically known in Judah, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, rose to such a pinnacle of power in Babylon and Persia that defies the imagination even of the best scholar. So brethren, what I'm sharing today speaks loudly and clearly to the fact that God not only takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants, but that he would stop at nothing in his quest to ensure that his servants are abundantly blessed. Now, when we consider the fact that the Israelites were only God's servants, as we read in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 55, we know that for his sons and daughters, God's blessings would be more abundant. With regard to Israel's status, if you still have doubts, read Galatians chapter 4, verse 45 and 7, and clarify that point. Accordingly, the following text surely bears this out. So I'll be reading from Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, 5, and 7. Verse 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Verse 5, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And verse 7, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So that's Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, 5, and 7. Now, against the backdrop that God so blessed his servants, the Israelites, imagine the blessings that God has in store for his sons and daughters. My conclusion is based upon the following text, which I'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, which states, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. And time saints, if one takes this promise seriously, underscoring the words, better covenant and better promises, one cannot avoid being convinced that God is totally committed to the prosperity of his sons and daughters. Moreover, those who enter into and understand their responsibilities, rights and privileges of this new and far better covenant can have what the covenant says they can have. This must be the obvious conclusion of anyone who views this Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 text against the backdrop of the tremendous blessings that obtained under the old and weaker covenant of the Lord dispensation. Moreover, notwithstanding this obvious reality, I feel constrained to be more explicit for you, my dear prosperity, perplexed <clears throat> friends and brethren for this exercise therefore i would like to draw your attention to the parable of the prodigal son for in it we have portrayed for us the character profiles of three different classes of christians today firstly we have the younger brother who knew what was available to him but who did not know how to handle such abundant blessings. The short-sighted behavior of the younger brother finds its present-day parallel in the lives of those Christians who use God's blessings to enrich themselves, then forget God soon after, and subsequently end in spiritual and financial disaster. Then we see the said prodigal 
after having made financial shipwreck, coming to himself and returning to his father's house, fully prepared to become a hired servant. This second phase of this prodigal's life depicts the lifestyle of those modern sons and daughters who have learned by grave experiences the eternal fact that the abundant Christian life can only be sustained by abiding in ever closer fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Finally, this parable also informs us of the character of the elder son who, notwithstanding the fact he never left his father's house physically, really had a very poor relationship with his father. All he had was a legal relationship of sonship which was totally devoid of genuine fellowship. This produced a son that was selfish, resentful, and grossly disrespectful to his father. In addition, he was also uncaring, bitter, and hateful to his younger brother. Therefore, he was as much a problem as his younger brother, who had earlier squandered the blessings of his father. This spirit of the elder brother is surely pervading the hearts and minds of many Christians today, who, notwithstanding the fact that they remain in their respective assemblies, are suspicious, envious, and vociferously critical of their own brother, for whom the father may have killed the fatted calf. Therefore, to you who are controlled by the spirit of the elder brother, I humbly direct this warning. If you are not careful, you would, by your attitude, exclude yourselves from the banqueting house and miss those blessings that you cannot enjoy. In addition, you may even forfeit your right to our Father's heavenly banquet. Now, brethren, what lessons can we learn from what is shared today on that story? Or previously, if nothing else, we should not miss this eternal fact that obtaining our covenantal blessings as sons and daughters does not simply depend upon the fact that we are God's children. Instead, it also depends upon our having a clear knowledge of what our Father has provided for us and our willingness to access sin. This we can learn from the younger brother. Moreover, we must also conclude that if we are to retain God's abundant blessings, we must ever strive to maintain and remain in unbroken fellowship with the captain of our ship. So brethren, from what we share today, we can now understand that the ideal son or daughter is the one who knows what his or her father has provided and abides in the house ever striving to enhance his or her relationship with his or her father by ever increasing fellowship. This individual can have a continual feast. In fact, some are actually enjoying same at this very hour. And the good thing about it is that it is also available to you. Now, brethren, I am not hereby suggesting that all of God's children should be millionaires and that if you are poor, you are not a genuine son or daughter. No, not at all. For far be it from me, for that would be iniquitous. However, what I want you to know is this. 
God is not responsible for you being poor. And if this statement you view with dismay, listen carefully to what Jesus had to say to the saints of his day. So I'll be reading from Luke chapter 18, verse 29 to 30, and it states, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that had left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake. Who shall not receive manifolds more in this present time, and in the world to come, life everlasting? So that's Luke chapter 18, verses 29 to 30. And that is not all. For by the pen of the beloved apostle Paul, he told us the following. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 32, and it states, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So that's Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Moreover, brethren, relative to God's attitude towards our financial welfare, the following speaks loud and clear. So that's 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, which states, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. So 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. So brethren, what is shared today is surely God's point of view on this prosperity issue. In closing, therefore, I must remind you that your legal relationship of sonship is surely not the only requirement that is necessary to allow you to access God's best. For the word of God has made the following abundantly clear. And it's, I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, which states, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So then too, on this said theme of a Christian's prosperity, Jesus, the founder of the church, summed up this principle in the following way. So that's Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that he meets with all you give to all it shall be measured to you again so that's luke chapter 6 verse 38 so brethren the message i've been sent out today therefore whether you become prosperous or whether you remain poor is to a large extent entirely up to you however to be prosperous would necessitate you being consistently obedient to the principles God contained in God's book. For if God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants, you can expect him to take much more delight in the prosperity of his knowledgeable and obedient sons and daughters. With this, you must agree. So brethren, that's the end of my segment today. I will be live next week again. So have a safe and productive week. Do excuse my voice. Um, I'm not recovering from a flu. 
So brethren, all the best. Remember to prepare yourselves for Jesus Christ's return because he will be returning soon. Spend time daily reading his word and study his word. Strengthen yourselves in his word and allow yourselves also to, to be surrounded by persons who can strengthen you in the word. Brethren, Jesus Christ loves us. I love you. Have a blessed, safe, and productive week. Bye for now.